Good morning. I, my name is Marianne. I'm also one of the pastors here, if you haven't met me yet, and it's a pleasure to see you this morning. There's something that very few people actually know about me, and I'm going to tell you. For most of my life, I have struggled with terrible stage fright. I know it's common for most people to feel somewhat nervous about getting up and standing in front of people and speaking. In fact, did you know that the number one fear of American people, according to the, the surveys, is public speaking? And that's actually even ahead of fear of heights and fear of snakes and spiders. But what makes stage fright so challenging is that your whole body can begin to shake uncontrollably, your heart races, your mouth goes dry, your palms begin to sweat, your voice quivers, and you feel totally sick to your stomach. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that? My first onset of stage fright was actually when I was in high school. My, my sport in high school was dance, as in ballet, modern, jazz, that kind of dance. And I loved the choreography, and I loved the music of dance. But when we had public performances, my knees began to shake so badly, I could not maintain my balance, which is a problem when you're in the middle of a pirouette, right? <laughs> Later, I served on a church staff, and they asked me frequently to give announcements on Sunday mornings, and it was so humiliating because my, I had to hold the wireless mic, and my hand would shake so visibly that everyone could see. My mouth would go dry. I'd break out in a full-bodied sweat, completely flushed. Later, they asked me to be on the drama team. <laughs> I was literally in the bathroom up until the moment the service started, sick to my stomach, week after week after week. Then, in 2003, the Lord called me into my greatest place of fear, to stand before a group of 350 women at a Bible study fellowship class and teach his word every week. The problem was I couldn't say no to God because God had make, made his call on my life undeniably clear. And actually, I was more terrified of saying no to God than I was of my own stage fright. But the first time I stepped onto that podium, some of you might have even been there, the first time I stepped onto that podium at Lake Grove Presbyterian Church with my message in hand, I had a true fight or flight response. Literally, everything in me wanted to run out the door backstage. There was a choir loft, and I knew where the door was, and everything in me wanted to run out that door and never come back. I was literally shaking from head to toe. They have a nice, beautiful wooden podium there. I was gripping onto the edges of the wooden podium, and I was praying for the Holy Spirit to do what I knew was impossible in my own strength. It was only by God's grace and power that I made it through that first day and every Tuesday afterwards for 10 years. I had to step in, out in faith to do what God had called me to do, knowing that the only way that I was going to remain faithful to his call was to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to carry me through. I could not literally make myself stop shaking. 
So it's no wonder why Jesus told the disciples that they needed to stay in seclusion after his resurrection and ascension until he sent the Holy Spirit to them. They would need the Holy Spirit's power before they were gonna be able to stand before others and proclaim the news that Jesus is Lord and Savior. They needed the Holy Spirit's power. Not only were they gonna lack the courage to witness, but they couldn't even understand how all of the scriptures were fulfilled in Christ without the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're, we're continuing our series, What the Son of God Said, and we're picking up where Pastor Adam left off last week, talking about what the Son of God said about the Spirit of God. Last week, we learned that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth, and this week, I want us to think together about the Holy Spirit as the source of power or empowerment in our lives. So we're gonna dive in a little bit more deeply about who is the Holy Spirit, and then we're gonna contemplate how does the Holy Spirit empower us to love and serve God. We're gonna open our Bibles to two passages in particular this morning, so grab your Bibles, and if you don't have one, would you raise your hand, and the ushers will come down and hand you a Bible. I'd love for you to look at the text right there in your own hands. You can go home and, and look at it again. We're gonna be turning to Luke chapter 24 to start, and we're gonna be starting in, in verse 44, 44 through 49. Let me share with you a little bit of the context of what's going on in this passage. So here we find Jesus. He is appearing to his disciples after his resurrection. So we can only imagine how perplexed they are in this moment because they, were, they witnessed his death on the cross and they know that the tomb is empty. They know that his body is gone. Some of them have had encounters with him in a risen state so far, but other people are reporting that they're seeing Jesus. There's appearances of Jesus happening around town, so they know that he's alive. The disciples are huddled in a room behind locked doors at this moment because they're terrified of what the Jewish leaders are going to do to them. And they're starting to, they're talking amongst themselves and they're straining to try to remember all the things that Jesus told them when he was with them. They're trying to remember, okay, what did he say? What was he gonna do? What's gonna happen next? And they're in the throes of this discussion when suddenly Jesus appears in their midst and he bids them peace. Now, can you imagine how, how startled they were to see him in that moment? Imagine, okay, how did he do that? The doors were locked. How did he get in their midst when the doors were locked? They must have been completely perplexed about that. Where did he come from? And the sight of him is so frightening because they think he's a ghost. And so he invites them to, to touch him, to see that he is actually present with them in a physical state. He actually shows them the scars on his hands and his feet. And he says, touch me. He wants them to know, no, I'm, I'm actually really with you. Be at peace. And the disciples are marveling at this moment, but they're still really confused. And it's kind of funny because they do the only thing that probably any of us would do, they offer him hospitality. They say to him, hey, do you want some fish? And this is what Jesus says to them. Verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Did you notice that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures? He connected the dots between the reality of his resurrected self and the words of the laws and the prophets and the Psalms that were recorded in the Old Testament. Jesus is is showing them in this moment through this enlightenment of scripture that he is the promised Messiah. He is the one who offers forgiveness for sin. He is the one who offers salvation to all who repent and believe in him. And this is the message that now the disciples must now proclaim to the nations. They're eyewitnesses of these things. They have witnessed his death. They have witnessed his resurrection. And in just a few moments, they're gonna actually witness his ascension. They're gonna be eyewitnesses to him literally ascending up into heaven right before their eyes. The disciples must share this good news with people from every nation, but not before Jesus equips them with his Holy Spirit. He says, the spirit from on high will clothe them with power from on high. So the spirit is the one that enables believers to witness effectively for the gospel. And even the disciples who heard and saw and touched Jesus could not effectively testify to the reality of their experience without the Holy Spirit's power. So Jesus instructs them to wait. He's saying, wait in Jerusalem. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Who is this Holy Spirit? As Adam shared with us last week, the Spirit is a person. He is a third member of the triune God. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible associates a lot of visual imagery with the Spirit to kind of help us understand a little bit more. So the Holy Spirit is spoken of in Scripture as like a dove that descends from the Father down from heaven, The spirit is pictured as the wind. Wind is invisible, but it's discernible. We feel the effects of the wind, though we can't see it. Sometimes scripture talks about the spirit as fire, water, oil, new wine. These are all imageries, visual pictures that help us try to understand more of who the spirit is. But the spirit is always referred to as a person. He's he's referred to as he. He is the helper. He is talked about as the comforter, the strengthener, the counselor, the supporter, the advisor, the advocate, the ally. He's always a person. Jesus actually describes the spirit as another of the same kind as himself. So for example, in John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, as in another of the same kind, to be with you forever. Or in John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, another of the same kind, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples, they needed the presence and the filling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to equip them for their gospel-sharing mission because the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. The spotlight, the spirit is like a spotlight that shines over our shoulders to illuminate the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ who's standing right before us. That's his job. 
And the Spirit is always working to focus our attention on Jesus. Any time that, that the Spirit is active, he is bringing glory to Jesus in one way or another. Let's fast forward to our second passage and look at Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and see what happened next. So Luke is also the writer of the book of Acts, and what we find here is that he kind of picks up right where he left off at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Let's look starting in verse 3. It says, He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you notice that Jesus ordered them? He ordered them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. This was really serious. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. He knew that the disciples did not have what they needed to begin sharing the good news of the gospel before the empowerment of the Spirit Helper came. They needed it. It was not an option, and it required an act of obedience on their part. Now, Jesus explained to them that when the Holy Spirit came, they would experience a baptism that was very similar to the water baptism they had already experienced in the Jordan River. So that first baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a time for confession of sin. It was a time for committing to turn from wrongdoing. It was a time for receiving cleansing from God. John's baptism had prepared their hearts for this new spiritual baptism that had been spoken of by, by the prophets all through the Old Testament. The disciples and all now who believed in Jesus Christ would actually receive the very Holy Spirit of God into their inner beings. God would make the human heart his tabernacle, his dwelling place on earth for each person who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then the Holy Spirit would be like a covenant seal in this relationship between the person and God until Jesus returns in glory. It's not surprising, of course, that the disciples were eager to know, you know, when actually is Jesus going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still thinking very much in an earthly way. They're like, okay, well, when? Can you imagine? Okay, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's told them that his spirit is coming. They must be thinking, okay, this is it. The kingdom is at hand. And so they were curious about that. And they wanted to be freed from Roman oppression. They're being dominated by, by Roman oppression in this moment. They wanted to be freed from that. And they wanted Jesus to sit on his rightful throne in the city of Jerusalem. No wonder they asked that question. But of course, no. The good news of the gospel was not just for the salvation of the Jews. It was for the whole world. And the disciples needed a change of perspective. They needed an infusion of God's power to obey the great commission that Jesus had called them to. By the way, interestingly, this is the very last time that the disciples asked about a political messiah. 
Because after they received the Holy Spirit, they understood deeply that their mission was to go to the nations and share the good news of Jesus. And they never brought this up again. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity who dwells in the soul of each person who believes in Jesus Christ and receives him as Lord and Savior. John 14, 17 says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I would just want you to think for a moment, is the Holy Spirit with you and in you? He is if you have accepted Christ as your savior. The disciples, they had to wait for the coming of the Spirit, but today, God's Spirit is given to you the moment that you repent and receive forgiveness for your sins by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit comes into your life, he empowers you to live a new life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come, and you experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit when he comes into your life. I wanted to share with you this morning some ways, there's so many ways, but here are a few ways that you experience the the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ as your Savior. Think with me about these different ways in which maybe you've experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The first thing is, he gives us a new heart. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You know, tonight, as, as Pastor Adam shared, we're having a baptism, and, and there's gonna be 15 people who are gonna testify of this renewal in their hearts. They're going to tell stories about how they have experienced a different kind of a heart because they have aligned their lives with Jesus Christ and they've received the Holy Spirit. Even the act of baptism is is a picture of this new life. It's as the person goes down into the water, they're identifying with the death and burial of Christ. And as they come up out of the water, they're identifying with this new life, this resurrected life in Christ. So baptism is a, a public testimony of this new life in Jesus Christ. The Spirit also empowers us to serve God. He empowers us to love and to care for others and to faithfully do whatever God calls us to do, whether it's frightening or whether it's beyond our limitations or what, he gives us the power to do what God calls us to do. He helps us to grow in Christ's likeness. The Spirit is what, who's the person who sanctifies us, who, who actually changes our hearts from the inside out. He's the one who, who gives us a responsive heart to God's word and a desire to actually apply the things we know from God's word to our everyday lives. Over time, we actually do become more like Jesus in that we love God more fully and we love other people with God's own heart. The Spirit spotlights Christ at work in our lives. He's the one who helps us to see God, to notice God at work. He's the one who connects the dots between our present life circumstances and God's divine activity. You've had those moments where you're like, ah. I really see God at work in this circumstance. It's the Spirit who gives you that aha, connecting what's happened in real time with God's working behind the scenes of your life. And it's the Spirit who actually spurs us to greater worship. He's the one who helps us really understand the reality of our salvation in Christ. He's the one that when we sing the great hymns that we just sang this morning, helps us to engage our hearts and minds with affirming the truth of those things in our own life and actually engaging our hearts in worship. 
He helps and remind us how loving and faithful God is and how much we mean to him. The Spirit gives us supernatural gifts to serve him. Every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is given a supernatural gift, and that gift is meant to build up the body of believers, to build up the church, to, to share and evangelize to others, to serve the community of Christ. Everybody has a gift. The Spirit seals us unto God for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, and who, who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The spirit assures us that we are his. 1 John 4.13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The spirit guides us, teaches us, and leads us in our daily lives. Luke 12, 12 says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are God, of God are sons of God. The Spirit guides us to respond to God by cultivating a heart that actually wants to do God's will. You might have noticed that before you came to faith in Christ, you didn't really care about what God's will was for your life. But when you give your heart to Christ, you really want to do what God has asked you to do in life. He changes our hearts so that we actually want to obey God because we love him. John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. He opens our ears to hear and understand God's word. This is my constant prayer for us on Sunday mornings, that, that you will hear God's word specifically spoken into your heart. Even as Words leave my lips, they're translated in such a way that, that you hear them in a way that you hear God speaking to you. He translates in ways that will deeply impact our souls. He prays for us, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever experienced that when you're just praying and you just don't even know what to say? but you know the Spirit is interceding. He's speaking your true needs, your true heart condition to the Father. And he is the agent of transformation. Romans 8, 13, if, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Are you experiencing the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you recognize any of these activities of the Spirit in your life? Are you experiencing the Spirit's transformation of your personality over time as you walk with God? It takes a lifetime, but there should be a sense of looking back and saying, you know, I'm not who I once was, and I'm not who I want, will be, but I'm changed, I'm different. Are you stepping out in faith to use your gifts to serve others? Are you growing in spiritual maturity as you are, are applying the instructions of God's word to your life, even in the places that seem really hard, really difficult? Let's jump to Acts 2 for just a moment and see what happens next after the Spirit comes. The Spirit arrived exactly as Jesus promised in Acts 2, verse 1. says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So exactly as Jesus had instructed, the disciples were gathered in, the, in a room in Jerusalem. They were not out on the streets. They obeyed him. And they were there with a collection of women who had actually were close to Jesus during his earthly life. And they were also there with 120 other believers. So this, this was a community of people staying in this upper room. They were people who had most likely seen Jesus in his resurrected state and had believed that he was the risen Lord and had, had followed the disciples' sharing of the instructions to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So they're all there and they're all ready. They're faithfully waiting for the Spirit's arrival. And so it was on this particular day, it was the 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus. It's the day of Pentecost. And this was at the time when there was this big celebration in the city of Jerusalem, the Pentecost celebration. And so millions of people came from the surrounding nations. Millions of Jews came into the city to celebrate. And they were celebrating God's giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses. They were there to celebrate the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so it was on this very particular day that the, the disciples in this group of 120 experienced the most amazing supernatural event. First, Scripture tells us they heard the powerful sound of this wind approaching. So amazing. Think about the sound of wind coming. It would be like a train barreling down the tracks coming right for you. And then they felt the effects of the wind. So they heard it first, and then they felt the effects of the wind. Wind is a symbol of invisible power. So like wind, the symbol, the, 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 wit, the spirit is not only invisible like the wind, but it's also, um, it's also irresistible. You can't resist the wind, and it's invincible. You can't over overpower the wind. But then that audible presence of the Holy Spirit became a visible presence as these, these tongues of fire descended, and they appeared first, and then they rested on each person in the room. So imagine men and women, old and young, every person had a tongue of fire descend upon them. Now fire has kind of a twofold symbolism in Scripture. For one, fire is the symbol of purification, so fire represents um, fire purifies the impurities, so there's this visual imagery of purification. But then fire also represents passion, enthusiasm, sense of purpose, you know? We say someone's on fire for Jesus. That means they're fully alive to Jesus. We know that Moses encountered the divine presence of God in the fire of a burning bush. We know that John spoke about the one who would come in power to, to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we've had these, this symbolism before in Scripture. So now, all 120 believers are filled with the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. And now, they're actually empowered for the task of testifying to the world about Jesus. So, Scripture tells us as they, as they run out into the streets, they were equipped by the Spirit to speak about Jesus in the native language of all of the foreigners who had assembled in the city of Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration. Amazing. Now they had what they needed to share the good news of the gospel. And they could do it in a way that every person could hear it in their native language. The Holy Spirit is, is God's precious gift to each person who believes and receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's an amazing gift that God gives to us. Today, we don't, we, don't, we don't feel the powerful wind when we receive the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire don't descend from heaven and land on us like they did in the first, early, the first coming of the Spirit in Pentecost. But the presence of the Holy Spirit is discernible in our lives in a multitude of ways. And so how can we 
who are believers in Jesus Christ, how can we experience greater empowerment of the Spirit in our lives today? I just want to suggest three things, three ways in which I've experienced the Holy Spirit's power in my own life. And the first is, well, first I want to say, I believe with all my heart that we can't do life without the Holy Spirit. We certainly can't do life as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. I don't think we have the strength to navigate being a person of faith in such a broken world. I don't think we can, we can deal with the grief that, that life brings without the hope of heaven, without the power of the Spirit, without the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to persevere in faith until we take our very last breath on this world, in this world. But three things that I've experienced as ways of great empowerment in the Spirit, and the first is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. It's the Holy Spirit who actually makes it possible for us to commune with God in prayer. Um, the Holy Spirit is the great translator between the cry of our hearts and the ears of God. He is the interceder in, in, in taking what we can't always put into words clearly and taking the cries of our hearts and making it discernible to God and God's word to us discernible to us. Jesus, of course, made the way for us to draw near to the Father, but the Holy Spirit's the one who guides our words and illuminates our hearts, so we not only know what to pray for, but we know how to pray. Developing a rhythm of prayer in your life will change everything about your relationship with God. God has invited us into a space to talk to him, and when we step into that space faithfully, persistently, it changes everything about how we relate with God it changes everything even about who we pray with and who we pray for. If you're praying with someone, you will develop such a deep intimacy with that person as you both kind of bring your souls together in a, in a raw way to speak to God together, you will form such a bond of intimacy with the other person that you pray with. But also the people that you pray for, God will pour his love for people into your heart. You will love the people that you pray for. Probably why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, because our hearts are changed as we pray for people. It's powerful also, it's powerful in one way, it's powerful to set aside time every single day for concentrated prayer. In that time, you can spend time worshiping God by, by just as we sang songs back to God through his word, you can, you can tell him how much you praise and worship him for who he is. You can confess sin to him. You can recite your thanksgiving for the things that you've seen just in the last 24 hours of your life. And of course, you wanna bring your needs before him. You wanna petition him for help in the areas where you need help. That's concentrated prayer, and that's a beautiful rhythm of life to set for yourself. But also, there's such a thing called constant conscious communion. And that is where you live and breathe throughout your day with a sense of awareness of God's presence, where you're speaking to him continually, and you're aware constantly that he is with you and he's accessible to you and he's listening to you and you can tell him whatever flits across your brain and whatever's on your heart all day long. Developing a persistent rhythm of prayer is the most intimate way to engage your heart with God's heart and it's the most powerful way to work out all the difficulties of your life with the one who knows you, who understands you and knows just what you need. The second thing is deep dives into God's word. The Bible gives us a profound perspective on life. Scripture is the only thing that explains how the earth was formed and why the world is broken and how sin impacts human relationships. 
It's the only thing that explains why God actually sent his son Jesus into the world and what his plan is to the, for the future. And it's the only way that you will truly know how deeply you are loved by God. Everything that you need to know for life is contained in the word of God. Now, not everything is contained in the word of God, but everything that you really need to know for life and godliness is contained in his word. And it's really impossible for us to fully know God or understand how much we are loved by him if we don't take deep dives into his word. The world is screaming at us all day long, little t truth, right? Little t truth is that which is truth to you, but not the same truth to someone else. And all day long, we hear different truth based on who we listen to. But the Bible tells us big t truth. Capitally true. God is the author and creator of life, and he tells us the true truth about our world, and we need to be saturated in his word. It's our compass for living. If you've never taken a deep dive into studying God's word, I really want to challenge you this year to make a habit, a pattern, a rhythm of life where you spend concentrated time in God's word. Ladies, you're invited to join me at the river. It's our women's Bible study. And we're going back to the beginning. We're studying the book of Genesis where it all began. And you can join us on Tuesday mornings or Tuesday evenings. And men, you can join Pastor Mike at the men's Bible study. They're gonna be doing a deep dive into James and First and Second Peter. We want to come alongside you and, and help you not only understand God's word by the, by the Spirit's help that in the, and the empowerment of the Spirit, but um, we want to help you develop a rhythm in your life of, of being in God's word regularly. And then the third thing I want to share with you is what I'm calling free falls of faith. There's nothing easy about following Jesus, serving Jesus, or sharing the gospel with other people. Nothing is easy and nothing is safe in any of those realms. Living by faith in this world requires that we be clothed with power from on high. We cannot do it in our own strength. It's too hard for us in our own strength. We need the Spirit's help to flee the temptation to sin. We need the Spirit's help to serve in the ways that God calls us to serve when we feel insecure or fearful. We need the Spirit's help to speak boldly about the good news of the gospel, especially to people who don't want to hear it, which we're surrounded by people in the Pacific Northwest who aren't interested in the good news of the gospel. And it's not just a leap of faith, because a leap of faith, your feet don't really leave the ground very far, do they? I call it a free fall from faith. It's when you're like, all in, here I am, and you're falling, and you're trusting that the Holy Spirit is your parachute who's gonna help you land safely. You say yes to God even though you're shaking like a leaf, standing up in front of people proclaiming his word. You say, yes, God, I'll never say no to you. I'm gonna trust you to lead me into the hard places. And the Spirit will come to you in power, and he will strengthen your inner being. And you know what? No one will know more than you just how powerful the Spirit is to help you do the very things you know you can't do in your own strength. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you and I to boldly love and serve Christ. We can't do it without him. And the thing is, we don't want to do it without him. We don't even want to boldly love and serve Christ without the Spirit first changing our hearts. But do you know that with the Holy Spirit, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you? Let's look at Romans 8.11. Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Have you received him? Do you know that for sure? Do you know for sure that you have the Holy Spirit residing in you? And then let me ask you, how might you instill a rhythm of life, whether it be through persistent prayer, through deep dives in God's word, through free falls of faith, persistent pattern of life, a rhythm of life, where you are communing with God deeply through trusting the Holy Spirit's power in you, and you're able to not only experience the Holy Spirit's power in a greater way, but, but live in a way that brings even further maturity and faith to your own life and glorifies Christ through you, in you and through you. You know, I wanna invite you to contemplate these things as we go to the table and we partake of the elements for communion. I'd like you to just think about the Holy Spirit's role of your, in your life. Think about evidences that you see him at work in you. Think about rhythms of life that you might cultivate that will help you um, experience more of the Holy Spirit's power. And as, as you go to the table in just a moment, um, Izzy's gonna lead us in a new song about the Holy Spirit. So I wanna invite you to contemplate the words that she sings. And then when you're ready, when you've done some heart searching, go ahead and take the elements from your chair and then we'll, we'll stand together and worship. But let me pray. Father, you know that it is impossible for us to walk by faith, to believe, to persevere without the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And we are so grateful that you sent your Spirit to us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, just as promised, you sent your Spirit. And you make our hearts your dwelling place when we receive Christ as our Savior. Father, we confess to you that we live still too much in our own power. We still take too much under our own control, and we need your help to trust you in greater ways, to draw near to you through prayer, to be saturated deeply in your word, and to trust you in the hard places. We want to trust you in the hard places. And so, Lord, as we contemplate your death, your resurrection, your ascension, we ask that you would show us how we might experience a deeper intimacy with you through your Holy Spirit's power. Would you show each one of us? Help us, Lord, to live fully clothed in the power on high. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.